0: You may be seated and I invite you once again to turn to the book of 2nd Corinthians to chapter 8 We'll read verses 1 through 15 this morning And as you turn to 2nd Corinthians 8 our text this morning is an application of the biblical idea That generosity is powerful and transformative uh, generosity softens hearts It ignites care and compassion. It opens the doors of relationships, even, Scripture teaches us, helping to turn enemies into friends. Because generosity means giving someone more than what was expected or than what they deserved. Which is why in the Bible, and you're going to hear this explicitly in our passage this morning, generosity is thought of as a form of God's grace. And the Bible thinks of generosity this way because it's an attribute of God himself. Generosity describes God's character and it describes the way he treats us. God is generous with us. God is generous with the sun and the rain and the bounties of the earth. He gives them to the just and the unjust alike, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. God is generous with his time because he always pays attention to us. He is generous with his presence He never leaves us or forsakes us, and most especially, of course, God is generous with his forgiveness and his mercy and his kindness in Jesus, because in Jesus, the Bible teaches us, we get blessings we don't deserve and more blessings than we could possibly count because Jesus receives all the rewards of heaven and then gives all of them to us through faith in him. See, God's generosity is a form of his grace. It describes the the lavishness of God's gift-giving love. And at the heart of our text this morning is this idea that when we, in Jesus' name, are generous with each other and with our neighbors and with the world, we show an aspect of God's grace. And we actually grow and change and look more like jesus individually but especially together as a church as we are generous and grow in generosity And uh, so we're going to unpack this idea of generosity this morning And because it's what paul and timothy are going to talk about for the next couple of chapters We're going to continue on this theme for the next couple of sundays Uh, And since we have some time and I don't want to try and cram everything together into one sermon We're going to think about just two elements. I think uh, maybe just one. I hope two. We'll see if I get carried away again. Uh, first is we're going to talk about one, uh, how generosity connects to forgiveness. And two, how generosity connects to God's providence. And those are going to be our two points this morning. And I know there since there's only two points, I don't want you note takers to feel gypped. So there's a third thing for you guys to write down. Uh, write this at the top of your notes, because this is the thesis that's driving the entire sermon. Open hands of giving help open wide our hearts. Open hands of giving help open wide our hearts. All right, so let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We'll pray, and then we'll start reflecting on the way that... Uh, generosity connects to forgiveness in God's providence by talking about how open hands of giving help open wide our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Let's hear God's word. <clears throat> we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, or the grace, of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. For as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's the reading of what can only be God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we hear about um, the power and the call to be generous, uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would use your spirit, who alone can make your word effective in our lives, to produce in us hearts that are generous and open so that we might receive and express the grace which we have received from our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we know that uh, in order for your word to have this effect, we need your spirit to give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of our hearts, as those who are all called to hear and respond to your word, may they all be pleasing now in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to think about with you this morning is how generosity connects to forgiveness. And here's why. Uh, we've spent the last couple of months reflecting on all of these powerful things Paul and Timothy have been uh, saying about how to forgive repentant sinners, how to see each other through the gospel's promises, and how to treat everyone like someone who God wants to befriend, or who actually is God's friend. That's all chapters 1 through 7. There's only 12 chapters in 2 Corinthians. Paul is going to talk about generosity and giving in chapters 8 and 9. And then in chapters 10 through 12, Paul will basically return to the ideas of relationship and community. So 10 out of the 12 chapters deal with forgiveness, hospitality, and community relationship stuff. So that raises an interesting question of why does Paul spend two chapters talking about generosity? And then why does he put it where he does in the letter? Why put it between all of this stuff about relationships and forgiveness and then leadership later on. Because if you read a lot of commentators and pastors, as I've done, you'll get the sense that Paul talks about generosity uh, just because it's something he needs to discuss. It's important. It needs to get in there, but it's really kind of just unrelated to the larger point. And because it's so often viewed as unconnected to the larger themes of the book, some commentators will say that Paul (coughs) could have talked about it anywhere in the letter. Some of them will even say that Paul should have put it somewhere else in the letter. Uh, One person even suggested that Paul probably wanted to save on paper, which was super expensive in the ancient world. And so rather than write another letter, he just crammed this one in rather inelegantly to this section of the the Bible. Uh, Unsurprisingly to all of you, I disagree with all of that. I don't think it's unconnected. I don't think it's misplaced. I think it's 100% intentional. And I don't think that just because I'm committed— though I am, to the inspiration of God's Word. I also think that it's intentional because of the way that God connects forgiveness and generosity and kindness and holiness and all the other sort of God-like attributes and Christian attributes in the Bible. So I'm betting that most of us know that when Jesus was asked, what the greatest commandment was. Teacher, what is the great commandment? He responded by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On all these, the law and the prophets depend, hang, rely, are built on. Your translations all say different things. They're all fine. It's all the same point, right? The Bible's built around those two commandments. Jesus took both summaries from the Old Testament. So God calls us to love our neighbors and ourselves in Leviticus. The book that everyone complains about reading is the book that Jesus says has the thing that the Bible's built around. <laughs> and So go home and read Leviticus is what I'm telling you right now. Do it. Uh, Leviticus 19. Listen to this. Leviticus 19.17. This is what God says to Israel. He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This command to love your neighbor as yourself is defined as treating others the way that the Lord has treated you, not with bitterness and grudge bearing, which are the issues that Paul was talking about earlier in the later, letter, right? But with forgiveness and compassion, to treat one another with calls to repentance and with words and actions of mercy and love. So according to the Bible and to Jesus, who used this command as part of his summary of the entirety of Christian life, You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you refuse to show forgiveness and compassion. Now, I know you're thinking, but what does that have to do with generosity? Well, like most, if not all commentators, I think God's command to love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus doesn't simply apply to this particular verse on forgiveness, but to the entire section that comes before it. And so listen to how this section starts. This is chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This section on neighbor love begins with a command on how to practice generosity to the poor, and to the needy in ancient Israel. Generosity is a part of neighbor love, and it's explicitly connected to forgiveness in this section in Leviticus 19. There's another interesting connection in the Bible, too. We heard Paul say earlier in 2 Corinthians, open wide your hearts, right? We heard Paul say that their hearts were open wide toward the Corinthians, And that they should open them wide back in return. Paul was writing to a group that was steeped in the Old Testament. uh, And that would have been, and maybe to some degree, I think probably to some degree still was, deeply connected to the synagogue worship of their day. And part of that ancient synagogue worship would have been reading from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, at least weekly, probably more frequently. Meaning that the phrase, open wide your hearts, would have stood out. Because except for one word, it comes from Deuteronomy, which is the book that Christ took the greatest commandment from. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We heard this verse in our meditation verse this morning in Deuteronomy 15:11. God calls on his people to be generous and forgiving and kind to the poor and to the needy by opening wide your hand. That is not a common phrase in the Old Testament. And I think Paul took that phrase and changed it slightly because he wanted them to connect wide open hearts with wide open hands. He wanted them to connect his words in this letter about the for, about forgiveness and love with God's words in the Old Testament about generosity and love. The same way we would do or if we were having a, a conflict in the church. We're not, I don't think, but if we were... I could come and I could say, I have a dream that one day we will be at peace. And you all know what I'm referencing, right? I have a dream, references Martin Luther King's famous speech in the Capitol. Open wide your hands is that same kind of thing. It's that uncommon and that powerfully referenced in scripture that they would recognize it. You see, you can't be steeped in the scriptures and look at the world the way that God does and see relational generosity and monetary generosity and forgiveness and kindness and love for Jesus and love for neighbor as unrelated. They are connected in our lives because they are connected in the Bible and they are connected in the life of God. And if those two powerful Old Testament texts don't show you the connection, uh, how about this one from the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5. This is 43 to 48, if you want to write it down. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which the Bible does not say. Uh, But I say to you, and Jesus knows that. He's just quoting a common phrase of the day. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And to be sons of your father in the Bible means to be like your father. So it's an Old Testament, ancient, ancient Hebrew way of talking about how you're like someone. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus here explicitly calls us to mirror God's generosity in our lives. We are called to be generous to everyone with our love and with our prayers and forgiveness because God is generous to everyone, even with his enemies, sending the sun and the rain on the just and the unjust. And then we're told, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which maybe there means, instead of moral perfection, completeness. You therefore must be complete or whole or united in the way that you live with your enemies and how you live with those who are around you. Uh, So I point all this out to say forgiveness and generosity are connected in your life because they are clearly connected in God's life. And I think we're given these commands because God knows that one way to grow in being a forgiving Christian, which is his entire point up to this point in 2 Corinthians, is to grow in being a generous Christian. As we practice giving people more than they expect and more than they deserve in Jesus' name, we will grow in our ability to give them the forgiveness and hospitality and love that they do not deserve and to give them the forgiveness and love in greater measure than they would ever have dreamed of expecting from us. And to connect this explicitly to our passage this morning, Paul connects the forgiveness of God, which he calls grace, you heard that, with the generosity of God, which he also calls grace, in the way that the churches of Macedonia uh, responded to the needs of their neighbors. So he says in verses 1 through 5, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. This is verse 1. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor and a lot of you will have footnotes in your Bible that show it's the same word for grace there, that's throughout the passage, of taking part of the relief in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And the point here is clearly that the Macedonian churches, which were the churches of Ephesus and Philippi, they took the generous grace of God and its abundant forgiveness and life, and they turned it, into generosity towards others. And just to point this out, because I think it's so powerful, their response of generosity was so profound that it surprised Paul and Timothy. And not just surprised them in the amount that was given, but in the depth of love for Jesus and for the church that produced it and that was grown by that generosity. And the impact of their response to God's generosity was so great. It had it so struck the apostles' hearts that they wanted the Corinthians to share in its profound impact too. Which is why Paul goes on to say in verses 6 through 9, and I'll read those again, Accordingly, we urged Titus, and we're going to talk about Titus in Sunday school today, kids, We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So having seen the power of Christ-like generosity in these churches, and knowing that you that they've already begun showing Christian generosity, we want you Corinthians to bring that same generosity to completion, fullness, perfection. I believe it's the same word there, teliao, that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. In your own life, we want you to excel in this because it's good for you. It will, as Paul says, reveal the genuineness of your love. And by the way, just to show another connection between forgiveness and generosity in this letter, if that call to show genuine love sounds familiar, it's because earlier on in chapter 6, Paul called the Corinthians to show that their love was genuine by opening their hearts wide in forgiveness and hospitality. Paul is explicitly connecting these things together in this letter. Open wide your hearts to them. Open wide your hands to them. By doing these things together, you will grow and mature. And of course, he's connecting them because generosity and forgiveness and love are connected in our, love, our lives through Christ. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Rich in what way? Well, certainly the Corinthians were wealthier than the Philippians and the Ephesians. You can see that. But that's also clearly not the point, right? The point is clearly rich in forgiveness, rich in hospitality, rich in love and in fellowship, rich with the presence of God, with the comfort of God, because of the depth Jesus was willing to go in order to be abundantly generous with us. And so I say all that to say this, uh, my friends, if you want to become better, more full forgivers, then growing as more generous givers will help you. Our lives are not sealed rooms, are they? It is a whole thing. We are like a plant, a vine, a tree, a crop, right? That's these are the ways that God refers to us in scripture. We uh, as we grow in one area spiritually, that growth will spill over into other areas. If you are struggling with forgiveness in one place, growing in generosity in another place will help you grow in forgiveness there too. Because as I said at the beginning, Wide open hands helps create wide open hearts. And uh, I did it again this week. Uh, I preached the first point too long, and uh, we are not going to be able to do all of the second point uh, with the time that remains well. Uh, so uh, next week, the first point is going to be super short, so I won't do this again. We're not going to get stuck in a rut. But since we have a little bit of time, let me end with a biblical example of how generosity helps forgiveness. Uh, I think an example from Paul's life would be helpful. There's a couple we could choose from, but let's choose the first experience of Christian generosity that Paul experienced. So before he was the apostle Paul, he was Saul, the persecutor of the church. And before meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was dragging Christians off to jail and ensuring that at least some of them were stoned to death. And we read about that in the book of Acts. And after his conversion, the church had to forgive Paul. We have this fiction, I think, in both evangelical and in Reformed churches where as long as you did something terrible before becoming Christian, then welcoming you after becoming Christian is super easy well, the reality is, like, you can't have someone's children or parents thrown in jail. You can't have them stoned to death and then come to church on a Sunday and say, hey, I'm a Christian now, and have everyone say, oh, we're so glad to have you. We know that before you acted ignorantly and unbelief, and we're so excited you've come to Jesus and, like, welcome. Like, no, like, you ruined my family. You killed my children. My mom and dad are in jail because of you. That's the context for Paul's conversion. So how does forgiveness come to Paul in a full life-changing way in the Bible? Well, part of how it comes is through generosity. After Paul was struck blind by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus gives Paul a place to stay in a Christian's house named Judas, not that Judas. I imagine it was rough for this Judas. (laughs) But imagine having Jesus tell you, Judas, you're going to take in this guy who is coming to arrest and kill you. And you're going to give him a place to live and food and shelter. How is that not generosity? He brings him into the house of Judas. And then he has a Christian named Ananias go to Paul and I think generously call him brother. It's the first word that he addresses Paul with in the Acts. And then Ananias takes him home. And he gives Paul home a home and food and a chance. And then through Ananias' physical generosity, using his home, his food, his time with Paul, Paul was brought into the local church community. And that church community grew in generosity with Paul as they gave him throughout their community housing, food, protection, and a chance. All of this had to have been difficult, right? But it created the context for forgiveness. I think we misread the gospel if we think, not the gospel, the book of Acts, if we think that when Paul came in, everything was just super great. There had to have been struggle. That struggle was overcome by showing this man who was their enemy generous love. And not only did it create the context for that, it deepened the forgiveness to such an extent that they came to see Paul as a friend and someone that they loved. So much so that when Paul left Damascus, uh, where all us, the Damascus area where all of this took place, and then finally met with the church in Jerusalem where he had begun the persecution and the executions, these Christians vouched for him and helped those who suffered because of him welcome him to inviting the church in Jerusalem into showing Paul the same generosity that Jesus himself had invited them into, when he first called Paul on the road to Damascus. And I know if you go and read the story in Acts, you're not going to see the word generosity used, but it's like clearly there. Like, how else do you describe that kind of love other than generosity? And I can't help but think that Paul had this in mind when he's writing these brothers and sisters who needed to show forgiveness to one another. Right? How can Paul not think about his own need for public forgiveness and how blessed he was by the generosity of God's people and how powerfully God used their generosity to transform him and grow their forgiveness in their own hearts over the weeks and months and years that they lived together. How could he not think of the power of the Damascus Christians inviting the Jerusalem Christians to join them in showing Jesus' generosity towards Paul? I mean, is this not ex- is it would this not exactly be exactly why Paul would invite the Corinthians to join him in forgiving this brother who sinned against them earlier in the letter and inviting the Corinthians to join the Philippians and the Ephesians in being generous with their brothers and sisters with their money and their time like I think it has to be this is not theoretical for Paul it's not theoretical for Jesus this is real. Real impacts on real people. And he wants the same thing for these Christians who he loves. He wants these things connected in their lives as it was connected in his life by Jesus himself. So let's close, let's close with this. I hope we all know and believe that we are what we are because of God's generosity to us. We do not have what we have, either physically, monetarily, spiritually, biologically, because we got it of our own strength. They are all gifts from Jesus. Because of his gifts of life, his gifts of creation, the gift of salvation in Christ, which came at such a cost to him, we are rich and welcomed and loved beyond all capacity to measure it. How do you measure the gift of your physical life? How do you measure the blessing of the babies and the children and the grandchildren? next? How do you do that? It's a gift. It's a grace. How do you measure the power of forgiveness? Which brings you into, how do you do that? It is beyond measure. We are what we are because of God's grace to us because of God's generosity to us. And the call that we have received from Jesus to give generosity to others is so that they can taste just a little bit more powerfully and clearly the goodness of the Lord who has blessed them too and experience the depth of his kindness and join us in living with Christ by faith in joyful generosity. And let's be honest. We're living in a time when neighbor love is not exactly at a high point. Where wounds and hurt, whether real or perceived, are growing, and so is anger and resentment and bitterness. And here at Grace, we have a choice in our communities, just like the Corinthians did, of how we are going to respond. When we hurt others, or when we are hurt by them, we can respond with bitterness and anger and even, I pray never, with violence. All the things Jesus tells his people not to respond. Or we can obey God's command and respond like Jesus, by meeting sin with an increase of Generosity by superabounding in love through His grace over the sins that we are, that are inflicted upon us. My friends, let's choose generosity. Let's choose superabounding love. Let's choose to follow Christ by trust in Him, by reliance on His grace, because God uses His generosity to open our hearts and to open the hearts of our neighbors. Because as He says in Romans, In my second favorite verse, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You could almost rephrase that. It's the generosity of Jesus that brings us into life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we know that your love for us has overflowed to us in the innumerable blessings of generosity and forgiveness that are ours in Christ. Please help us to take the abundant grace that you've given to us and to pour it back into the lives of those who are around us so that we would increase in our generosity and in our forgiveness and in our kindness towards each other and towards our neighbors. And so be a people where the love of Jesus shines brightly, and the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can be experienced tangibly. And we can know uh, the power of a complete, mature love in our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.